But today we're at Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. Come on, little Ruth. Read for us this morning. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, I call my son out of Egypt. Thank you, Lily. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you so much for the Christmas story. Um, and we thank you for the hope that it brings as we start this new year. Um, God, we just pray that we would live every single day for you with everything that we have. Teach us this morning the things we can learn from this uh, scripture that Lily read today. We pray that you would be with Grandpa as he shares your word with us today. We pray that every word from his mouth today would be from you. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the people. Thanks for the worship. And thank you for your son, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother. Flee to Egypt and stay there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Once Herod realized that the wise men had duped him, he went ballistic. Fortunately, God knew Herod's thoughts and sent an angel to warn Joseph. <clears throat> it's very interesting. I want you to see this. This is very important. Do you notice that the Bible writer Luke Make sure that in the quote, he mentions the child first and then the mother. That's the opposite of the way the Jews would talk. The Jews always gave respect to the elder. They would have always said, take the mother and the child. But notice that it was the angel who said, from now on, basically, remember, the child takes preference over the mother and the father. Mary and Joseph were just servants. The child is the one that matters. And here he comes with a special birth, special announcement, special arrival, virgin birth, and yet he was not exempt from suffering. Jesus not only shared our world, he not only shared our poverty, he shared our suffering. You completely miss the essence of the life of Jesus if you'd forget that he suffered and was persecuted even from his infancy. When he arrived in Bethlehem, there was no room in the inn. Now there's no room in all of Israel. It's not getting better. It's getting worse. Notice, would you please, that the coming of a good thing was followed by a bad thing. 
Whenever God brings good into your life, expect something bad to happen soon. Are you listening? Do I have your attention now? Listen to me real closely. This is true in all of our lives. Expect this. No matter how good life gets, watch out, it's coming. No matter how high the mountain you're on, look out, the valley is beneath you. Troubles always follow victories. Always. Jesus is baptized. The Holy Spirit comes down in the form of a dove, and God the Father says, This is my beloved Son, whom I'm well pleased. And within hours, he's in a wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. Elijah on Mount Carmel is calling down fire. One of the greatest victories ever in the history of the world. Elijah is calling down fire. And within days, he's down under a juniper tree asking God to kill him. He wants to die. He's so depressed. Trouble always follows victories. Valleys follow mountaintops. The height of the wave determines the depth of the next trough. If you do not know this, you're going to have a hard time in the Christian life. And it's hard enough. It's hard enough as it is. You don't want to make it worse. We often wish that a time of triumph and happiness, something that happens in our life, is going well. We often hope and wish that that will last forever, that we can be spared from trouble this one time. Maybe this time we'll get by. Lord, I've, I've borne enough. I've carried enough troubles. Things are going pretty well right now. Could we just leave it that way? It never happens. No matter how well you are, no matter if you have all the bills paid, no matter how good things are going at church, no matter how wonderful your marriage is, no matter how fine your children are doing, trouble is coming. And one mark of spiritual maturity, now listen to me, believers, listen to me. One mark of spiritual maturity is finally arriving at the place where in the glad times, you quit hating that the bad times are coming. A mark of true spiritual growth is that when you're going through a good time, you know the tough time is coming and it's okay. Now, how, why, why in the world can I say that? Paul the Apostle Paul the Apostle said that the goal of his life, this is Philippians 3.10, if you want the address, Philippians 3.10. Paul said that the goal of his life was to know Jesus, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings. One of the most important verses in the Bible on understanding the Christian life. The goal of Paul's life was to know Jesus, in other words, to know him better, to live, live in communion with him. To enjoy the power of his resurrection, which we all want. We all want that. Is it, but also to have the fellowship of his suffering. In other words, Paul's goal was to know Jesus better so he could have the power. And the way he knew he could have the power was by going through suffering. You notice that he embraced both. He said, I want the power, but I know I can't have the power without the trouble. 
I cannot have the resurrection of Jesus unless I share in the crucifixion pain. Unless I share in what he had to go through. If I'm going to have the power, I must go through the suffering. So Paul knew that only through the fellowship of suffering could he have the power. Therefore, he embraced both. When I was a young preacher, I um, asked my grandpa Marshall, my dad's dad, who was a Baptist preacher. I had my grandpa Marshall. I was 28 years old. In fact, I had all four of my grandparents. I was 28 years old. One of the great blessings of my life. I asked my grandpa Marshall, who had certainly had a life of trouble and difficulty. I said, Grandpa, is there any way that you can grow closer to Jesus without going through suffering and pain? And he, without one second's hesitation, said, no, son. No, and I still remember the tears in his eyes. Even as a young man, I knew here was a man who had lived this life. He knew that every victory, he knew that every moment of power, everything that had come in his life and God had blessed had come somehow through the path of suffering. That somehow it was trouble that caused him to depend on God, that caused him to trust the Lord. And I know some of you are wondering, well, does it ever get better? Well, I'm 72 and it hadn't got better yet. So I don't, I don't have any great news for you except to say this. If you're a child of God, you're going to go to heaven someday. Somebody say amen. amen. All right. Now verse 14. Let's go. Verse 14. I can tell I have your attention. You know, anybody who thinks that preaching is a one-way street has never preached. It's definitely a two-way street. And I can feel that for, that for many of you, that thought is going to stay with you for a while. When God does something good, expect something bad. Now verse 14. So Joseph got up, and he took the child and his mother. Notice again, child first, mother second. See, Jesus most important, everybody else servant. Took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. Now, night is not only a time of day, but it's the way everything was dark and ominous. We're going to show you a picture here. I want you to show the picture that I've got, Luke Merson's picture. This is Luke Merson's art picture. of It's called Repose in Egypt. Once again, I'm going to stop and I'm going to say to you again what I've already told you twice, now thrice. If you're an artist, you have ways of reaching people that those of us that are not artists, we do not have. If you're a writer, make sure that some of your writing is about Jesus. You find a way to promote Jesus. If you're a good painter, you paint pictures that bring honor to Jesus. If you're an artist, anything that you can do, give it to Jesus. I am not an artist. In fact, I have an earned doctorate, as you know. And the only less than a C I ever made in school was a D plus. Anybody want to guess what it was in? Art. Exactly. All right. So I learned early on, I am not an artist, but some of you are. And you can do stuff like this. This is Merson's uh, painting, Repose in Egypt. Notice that it's dark, it's ominous, except for the light coming off the halo of the baby Jesus. Notice the Sphinx, even the Sphinx is looking grateful. See, the, the artist can say that. The artist can do things that we who just speak straightforward words, we can't do. In other words, he's saying Egypt was blessed that Jesus chose them for the place of rest. And then it's Jesus who's the light of the world. And then down in the lower right, now don't miss this. You see down the lower right, that's Joseph, asleep. The family is at repose. They are resting. 
They're going to Egypt. Thank you, folks. You can take it down now. Fleeing into Egypt was not a great thing. But it did save the family from something worse. Okay. Here we go. I don't go deep very often, as you know. I try to preach where we are, where we live. But now listen to me. God lets us be in situations that keep us from even worse things. Whatever you are going through right now, God has allowed it to keep you from something worse. For instance, since suffering is infinitely preferable to sinning, the Lord may send us sorrow to keep us from evil. Ambrose, to whom we owe Augustine, the great pastor Ambrose in the 300s, he was the one who said, if I were standing on a wall between hell and sin, I would jump into hell before I would jump into sin. In other words, he had gotten it. Somewhere along the way, he understood that suffering is much better than sinning. And often, as the great Baptist preacher Spurgeon said, often God puts us in sad settings to keep us from even sadder ones. Whatever your situation now, whatever you're going through, God has given this to you to keep you from something worse. And if you knew what God knows, you would be deciding for your life exactly what God is doing in your life. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's the difference between a saved person and a lost person who's going through the same thing you're going through and they just grit their teeth and they just make it through. They just, they're going to force their way through and they're going to somehow survive. The difference between a believer and an unbeliever in suffering is that the believer understands that if I knew what God knows, I would be doing the same thing to me that God is doing to me right now. The believer understands the value of suffering. Why do we understand the value of suffering? Why is Paul saying, I embrace suffering? I want to know suffering. I want it to come so that I can be stronger and better. Why do we believe this? Because our Lord and Master Jesus when our master decided to do the greatest thing he would ever do for us, he chose suffering. He went to a cross. He didn't choose some great glory. He didn't choose some great ride into town on a horse. He didn't have some big crowd come and cheer him. He said, I'm going to go through suffering. We live in a fallen world. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, one of the most comforting verses to me and Ruthie and our suffering through the years 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, the Bible is very clear. Satan is the God of this world. You forget that to your great loss. Satan is the God of this world. And so Jesus, coming into Satan's home court to reclaim what was his, he said, all right, sin brought all this suffering. Sin brought all of this. I will enter right into the strongest point of the devil. I'll go right in where he's the strongest. I'll go into death. I'll go into suffering. And I'll redeem both of them and make them better. 
And that's what God does in our lives. This is what God does. He sees what's coming and he prepares in advance something that's ready for us whenever we're going through it. God knows in advance what's going to happen to us. And today's grace will not carry you tomorrow, but God is preparing grace today. He'll give you tomorrow that will help you make it through whatever you're facing the next day. One of the great problems that we have as Christians, one of the most difficult things we have as Christians is an adrenaline addiction spiritually. A spiritual adrenaline addiction. Christians somehow think if they're praying about something and God doesn't do some miracle, then God's not at work in their life. There's not something supernatural going on here. Something so wonderful, we just go, wow, we are wrong to think that God usually, now listen to me, God usually hides in the ordinary. Did you hear what I said? When you're praying and you're going through something difficult and something terrible, and several of you in this room are going through some really hard times, I know I'm praying for some of you. I know. What we need to know is that God is working. Maybe not some great miracle going on there, but God is working. God did not perform a miracle to save baby Jesus. Joseph had to go out and get on a donkey, I guess. Had to grab his wife and baby. And under the doctrine of night, they just walked off. That's, that's ordinary. When I was um, in Israel years ago, we approached the city of Dothan. Now, Dothan is where one of the most amazing, most powerful, most unforgettable miracles in the history of the world ever happened. You, you remember it. The great prophet was in Dothan, and Elisha, the servant of, uh, the servant of Elisha, is scared to death. And the army is coming, and they feel like they're going to be destroyed. And the servant is about to lose his mind. And, and Elisha says, Lord, open his eyes. And the man opens his eyes. And God somehow does a miracle. And he looks around. And the mountains around Dothan are filled with horses and chariots of fire. And I remember as I was driving, as we were riding on the bus up to Dothan, the, uh, our guide, wonderful Christian servant, uh, was talking about the great miracle of Dothan. And we got off the bus, and I asked him, you didn't say anything about the other great miracle at Dothan. He looked at me kind of puzzled. And I said, when Joseph was thrown into a pit, and his brothers sold him into slavery, into Egypt, you didn't say anything about that miracle. And that was just as great a miracle as the chariots of fire, because both of them saved a nation. Had Joseph not gone to Egypt... Israel would have died. So this young boy, Joseph, screaming at the top of his lung, please don't do this to me. God was just as much in the ordinary as he was in the horses and chariots of fire. To help Joseph and Mary and the baby in Egypt, God could have rained down money on them. Instead, he sent three wise men with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Moses. One of the greatest miracles ever, the burning bush, the fire that needed no fuel, the picture of God, this fire burning and didn't need anything to burn. That's God. And that's a great miracle. But to save his life, all his mother did was put tar and pitch inside a basket so it wouldn't sink as she sent it down a river. When it comes to preaching, Isaiah, to be a great preacher, he saw the Lord high and lifted up. He saw a great, it was a great miracle, one of the greatest miracles of the Old Testament. He saw the Lord high and lifted up. God called him to preach. 
For me, I just happened to be sitting in the choir next to the guy who was in charge of getting somebody to preach a youth Sunday. I've told you that story. See, God works in the ordinary just as much as he works in the miraculous. Just in the everyday stuff. So if you have this spiritual addiction to adrenaline, you're going to spend your whole life being frustrated. You're going to be upset. You're going to be disappointed. Now, from Bethlehem to Egypt was 75 miles. God, long before, had been preparing Egypt for the coming of this baby. When Alexander the Great was conquering the world. Wow. Alexander the Great, no one had ever been out to the city of Tyre, the island out there. And Alexander the Great stood on the mainland. He looked out there at Tyre. And uh, he had his soldiers start tearing down every building. They tore down every building they could find. They started throwing debris into the Mediterranean Sea. And they kept coming, and they kept coming, and they kept coming, and they kept coming. And finally they reached the city of Tyre. It is one of the only man-made things in the world you can see from space. The bridge that Alexander built out to Tyre. Well, while he's building this, filling up the sea, making his way slowly to Tyre, he sends word down to Israel that he's coming. And so after he takes care of Tyre, he heads down to Israel and the high priest, Jadua, comes out of Jerusalem and walks right straight up to Alexander the Great, shows him the book of Daniel, shows that he was predicted in the book of Daniel. And Alexander the Great said, you're the man that appeared to me in a dream three years ago and told me I could conquer Persia. And so Alexander the Great saved Jerusalem went on down into Egypt's land. And when he got into Egypt's land, he found a city called Alexandria. And as a reward for the Jews, he gave them a haven in Egypt to where they could come and trade and do business with Egypt. And so right there now, here comes the baby Jesus. The baby Jesus needs a place to be hidden. 300 years earlier, God had said, we'll take care of it. So that when the baby comes, there's a place. And what God did for Israel and God did then for Jesus, God is doing for you. Whatever you're going through, whatever you are facing, it does not matter. God knew long ago it was going to happen. God knew it was coming. And God prepared some type of Egypt, something for you. God was not caught off guard when your loved one died. God was not surprised when you got sick. God knew from the first. And we as believers, we trust our Savior. He is one who climbed a cross for us. He died on a cross for us. And if He would do that for us, then He has the ability to see what's coming in our lives. And He has prepared a spot, things, people, for us, and we believe that. Now, verse 15, verse 15. Wow, what a message. Verse 15. He stayed there till the death of Herod. Let's stop right there. How long did he stay? Probably a few months. We know he was born just before Herod died and came back not long after Herod died. So a few months. But here's the point. Don't, don't miss this. Jesus lived. Herod died. Now, stay with me now to the end. It's really important. 
Jesus lived, Herod died. Everything that is opposed to Jesus will eventually be crushed and destroyed. The only thing that will be blessed forever is him and what is connected to him. Herod had an evil heart. He was fighting against God. He believed the wise men. He accepted the Bethlehem prediction. And then he went to massacre all the children. He threw himself against God. And God's steam rolled over him. Don't ever forget. Don't ever forget. Jesus will win. Thank you to the two of you. I'm going to say one more time. Give all of you a chance. Jesus will win. Connect your life to him always. Now, back to verse 15. We're going to continue that thought. He stayed there until the death of Herod. This happened so that what had been spoken by the Lord to the prophet, the prophet Hosea, by the way, Hosea 11.1, through Hosea would be fulfilled out of Egypt, I called my son. Jesus went to Egypt to fulfill a prediction. God had said to Pharaoh when Moses was down and the, the, the Israelites were down in bondage, God sent a message to Pharaoh through Moses, let my people go. He said to Pharaoh, Israel is my firstborn son. Do you remember Pharaoh's answer? One of the stupidest things ever said in the history of the world. Moses went in there and he said to Pharaoh, Yahweh says, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, who is Yahweh that I should obey him? That is utter stupidity. And the result was the plagues of Egypt. Don't, don't, don't be messing with God, folks. Don't mess with God. All right. So God brought Israel up out of Egypt, his firstborn son. And now the most important firstborn son in the firstborn son nation was being born. And here's what God is saying. I brought my firstborn out of Egypt and it didn't work out the way I hoped it would. You can always feel the heartbreak of God. I brought my firstborn son, Israel, out of Egypt. I put them right on the landmass where Europe and Asia and Africa meet. You, but to go by land to those three countries, you've got to go right through Israel. You have to go by land through there. So God said, I called my firstborn out of Egypt and I put them right there in this beautiful, precious spot. And they just didn't do what they were supposed to do. So it's as if God is saying, now here's what God is saying. I brought my firstborn nation out once and it didn't work out too well. Now, I'm going to bring my firstborn again out of Egypt. And this time, it's going to work. And it did. It's an amazing story. There's a theologian who says... The best argument for the existence of God is the fact that the Jews still exist. He's serious about it. He says, there's nothing else like it in the world. That the Jews exist, other people, groups from that era, gone, forgotten. Nope. The fact that the Jews, he said, it's the best argument for the existence of God in the world today is that the Jews are still there. Why are the Jews still there? Well, first of all, they kept themselves separate and unique because the Messiah was supposed to come from them and they had to keep really good records and had to stay pure. They couldn't intermarry with other people. The Jews had to stay right here because 
the loved one was going to come out of them. And then they're blessed now because Paul says they are loved for the father's sake. Because God loved Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all of those guys. He still loves them and shows his love for them by still being good to their descendants. That's the Jews of today. All right. Now, here's the beautiful thing. Now, watch me. And I'm done. I'm done. This is a nest doll. I love these things. They're, they're great. All right. Once again, an artist. Did I mention about artists? Wait, wait, let's go on. Let's get on. Don't stop. Don't stop. All right. So you had a nation of Israel. And then the nation of Israel, God, God said he was going to protect. Then you had Egypt, maybe try to destroy the Jews. Nah, it didn't work out. So God protected them. So Moses got them out of there. And then you had them going to exile. And, well, thought the Persians were going to get rid of them. But, no, that didn't happen. They came back. And, and then Alexander comes down there. And you think, well, if anybody's going to destroy the Jews, it's going to be Alexander. Well, I'm a dog gone. No, he doesn't. And then you get down. Why? Why did God protect all of these? To protect the treasure. Because he had a treasure, Jesus. Then, the treasure was born, and now the treasure is going to do what Israel never did. Israel went down and came out, and God expected them to bless the world. So, Jesus comes out, though. And first of all, the gospel begins in Jerusalem. And the treasure is protected. And then, the treasure goes on to Rome. And Rome becomes the center of the Christian world and begins to spread everywhere. Then, from Rome, the gospel goes to Germany. And from Germany, in the Reformation, the gospel spreads. Then, it goes to the United States of America and it spreads all over the world. And now, the treasure continues to spread more people are being saved now than ever in the history of the world. The greatest revival in the history of the church is happening right now. Korea, Nigeria, China, any one of the three. Go to any one of the three. More people are being saved and one to Jesus than ever. Why? Because God promised that the treasure would be protected. He protected it all the way through the Old Testament. Never let the Jews be destroyed. Then here came the baby. Egypt took care of the baby. Baby died, rose again. The Christians took it to Jerusalem. They took it to Rome. Took it to Germany. They took it to England. Came to the United States of America. And now spreading to China, Nigeria, Korea. Spreading all over the world. Exploding faster. Christianity growing faster than it's ever grown in this history ever. All because there's a little treasure in there. His name is Jesus. And God the Father is going to make sure that Jesus always does okay. So, the question of the hour is, is your life connected to Jesus? You don't want to end up like Herod. The only thing that matters in all the world, no matter how much suffering, how much trouble, how much difficulty, no matter what you are facing, there's only one thing ultimately that matters are you connected to Jesus? He is the treasure. And if you connect to Him, God will see that you're taken care of. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right, that's enough for today. I think you're done for today, so I'm done. Let's quit right there. Put all your stuff away. Bow your heads in prayer. And let's go before the Lord and get serious in His presence. Wow. I had no idea that the message would be 
that forthcoming and straightforward. Mercy. Help us, Lord. Obviously, there are many in the room that this message spoke to. I, not because it's me. I know that. I got enough sense to know that. But because you are suffering, you're hurting, you're going through some type of trouble. Maybe you've been thinking about uh, forsaking the Lord Jesus. Maybe you're thinking about some sin and you need to be reminded you better keep your life connected to Jesus. He's going to win. I don't care what you think. What would you say? He is winning and going to continue to win. The victory is his. For some reason, the message is spoken to many of you today. Now, would you just pray? Would you just pour your heart out? Literally, just pour your heart out, please. Now in prayer. And as you pray, I pray something has been said that helps you and encourages you and lifts you up. And while Christians are praying about these things, may I speak to you who do not know Jesus. The Christian life is not a cakewalk. It's not easy. It is an uphill battle because we live in a fallen world because of the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden. Satan has become the god of this world because we invited him to be so in the garden. But in the midst of this chaos, there is one treasure, the Lord Jesus. One treasure whom God protects. God makes sure that everything that touches him is blessed. And if you're an unbeliever, your opportunity is to connect your life to the Lord Jesus. And you can do that right now. Jesus died on a cross and then released the Holy Spirit to the world. And the Holy Spirit's going to come and deal with you right now. And you're going to feel this need that you need to repent. You're going to sense, I must seek his forgiveness. You're going to ask him. You're going to feel a desire that's the Holy Spirit working in you. And if you are ready right now to receive Jesus, I want to lead you in a prayer. The prayer doesn't save you, but if the spirit behind the prayer is there, if, if your, your attitude is right, you can be saved right now. Let me lead you in this prayer. You say it silently as I pray it out loud. Dear Jesus, I am sorry for my sin. Please forgive me. Come live in my heart. I receive you as the master of my life. Amen.